Assalamualaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope. We just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University of Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Eric uh, Francis. Uh, he's written this uh, with more than one book, uh, but we're going to be talking about one in particular uh, because it's interesting for me when my job in working with teachers on how to use technology, I have found that I have needed to speak their language because I live this life. And because I live this life and I'm so passionate, um, I have rubbed some teachers the wrong way. But in trying to get them to see, okay, this is what I'm trying to get you to do for education in terms of the technology and how I want to see it used and become transformative, et cetera. I can't talk to them and have the same conversation with them I can with some people on, on Twitter or the or, or junkies like myself that we see each other at ISTE and other conferences. I've had to say, DOK. And then, oh, now they're starting to kind of get, oh, this is what you're talking about. We're talking about X, Y, and Z. And so today we're going to be talking about Eric's book that is about uh, depth of knowledge. And uh, I, I, I do have one question here. I'm going to throw it at him and see what happens. Uh, but uh, so for those who will be listening, because I'm very excited to have this conversation this morning, uh, my last day of freedom, because, uh, you know, this, well, this is Saturday. So Sunday is it, and I'm back at work for spring break. So for those of you listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Audible, will you please introduce yourself, Eric? Thanks, Dr. Will. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, good morning, everybody. It's morning right now, pretty much, what we're doing this show. Uh, my name is Eric Francis, and I'm an author, educator, and presenter. And I've been an educator for over 25 years. I've been a classroom teacher. I've been a site administrator. I was an education program specialist for the state education department out here in uh, Arizona, which is where I live, Scottsdale, Arizona. And in 2012, I decided to go break out on my own and uh, be entrepreneurial and start my own uh, um, consultation professional development company. It's called Maverick Education, um, spelled M-A-V-E-R-I-K. Um, it's named after myself and my daughters, Madison Avery, and I'm also a child of the 80s, so when somebody suggested I call it Maverick Education, I was very excited because I'm a huge fan of Top Gun. Um, and, you know, I always say this a lot, that that's the one thing that really bothered me about this pandemic because that sequel was supposed to come out. And I've been waiting, you know, 30 years for this sequel to come out. Actually, it's about 36 years aging myself, but I'm excited it's coming out this summer. Uh, one of the things I always wanted to be was an instructional leader. The unfortunate thing I felt like when I was um, an assistant principal, that I felt like I was anything but. Um, I felt like I was a cop without a badge, uh, using my grandfather's uh, interrogation techniques when they were NYPD officers to find out who skipped fourth hour or who destroyed the bathroom after lunch. Um, and I just felt like I was you know, a psychologist, a family counselor, an accountant, politician. Uh, so I was really excited that I could have this opportunity to go out and do professional development based on strategies I used as a classroom teacher. And 2016, I wrote my first book. It was for ASED. It's called Now That's a Good Question. It was about how you turn your standards um, and your statements into good questions. You shift your instructional delivery. 
And uh, over that time um, was uh, when the Common Core came out and we were all making the transition to that. And I became really fascinated with this concept that was introduced as part of the Common Core called depth of knowledge. It was uh, developed by Dr. Norman Webb as a criterion for alignment studies and then further uh, expanded by Dr. Karen Hess as a measure of cognitive rigor along with Bloom's taxonomy. And we were all given, told that depth of knowledge is about what comes after the verb. And that fascinated me because I always had a problem with cognitive action verbs. I always felt they were abstract and hard to measure. But we're given this document that was this wheel, this DOK wheel, and it's full of verbs. And it, it completely contradicted everything that we were being taught and told in our trainings. So I questioned it. I'm a questioner. I'm, I'm a skeptic in that way. And it really became my passion project for the last last 10 years. It's been amazing to think about that. It's been 10 years since the Common Core was implemented. We were first introduced to this concept that actually came out in the late 1990s. And I, I just researched it and, and I investigated it. And there's so much misinformation and, and miscommunication about this concept. And it became a passion project of mine. It became something where I was going out there and saying why this DOK wheel is inaccurate and providing the evidence. And it was shocking people. And it got to the point where I, I established myself gratefully as one of the um, leaders and voices about teaching and learning for depth of knowledge which is very unique because there's a bunch of us out there and we all have unique perspectives on it. But one thing we all agree on is that depth of knowledge is about what comes after the verb. It's not based on the verb. So when the pandemic hit and I got torpedoed in my business because nobody wanted professional development on academic rigor. Everyone wanted professional development. And, hey, how do I turn on a computer and what's this thing called the internet? And uh, I decided to write the book and I really focused on how to make uh, depth of knowledge and not only just to explain what it is accurately, but also make a mo method and a model that will help us moving forward. Uh, and, that's, and that's basically, you know, what this book is and what this book um, has done. It's provided, hopefully, us a method and model that we can use, not only accurately and appropriately, but also in response to a lot of things we're experiencing right now as a result of what has happened uh, from the disruptions of learning called by the pandemic. So, so that's that's me, kind of in a in a long nutshell, in a long uh, explanation, um, and uh, yeah, I'm just happy to be out there spreading the message and trying to help uh, educators uh, get through these hard times we're all facing right now. Mm. So, I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you'll be doing when you were growing up, and how did you find yourself becoming an educator? <laughs> Not this. You know, and not, I never thought I was going to be a teacher. I, I mean, it's, you know, I, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to work in the film industry, and I did. Uh, that's how I started my career. Um, I have a master's in science in film and television production uh, from Syracuse University, uh, the SAI Newhouse Public uh, Communications. Um, and, and, and at Newhouse, you went there and you became worked in, in communications, um, um, media communications, I always wanted to work in the film industry, and I did. And uh, three weeks after I graduated my master's, I picked up my stuff. I flew out to L.A. Uh, three weeks later, I got my first job, and it was working in a mailroom in a talent agency where, I'm going to tell you straight right now, I was making less than I did as a teacher. And that's the actually funny thing. When I started out in the film industry, I was making less working in the film industry than I did my first teaching job. 
so that's where I started. And I wanted to be a screenwriter, um, eventually becoming a, a director and a producer. And I did it for two years, and I worked for a real prominent uh, producer out there, a big-name producer. Actually, I had an office I worked at on both the Sony and Warner Brothers lot in the early 90s. And I walked away from it. You know, I, I just did not, after two years, I didn't like it. It wasn't bringing me, the dream, actually I like to say the dream became a nightmare. So I went, I went to LA, I went and worked in the film industry, I worked in New York a little bit in the film industry, uh, worked for Miramax Pictures at the height, this is when like, you know, all like the Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino and the, and the low budget films, is, they just got um, acquired by Disney. Um, and, and then one day I just said, I don't want to do this anymore. And, um, my dad kept on saying, come out to Arizona, you know, it's getting built up here in the 1990s. And I just, uh, jumped in a rent the car and I said to my dad, I said, uh, you know, okay, I'm going to drive cross country. And if I run out of money and I run out of gas, wherever I am, that's where I'm going to live and start over. Luckily it was in his driveway in Phoenix, in Scottsdale. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I always like working with kids. I, I was a, a camp counselor in uh, my uh, late high school and college years. Uh, I did uh, lifeguarding where I taught kids how to swim. And I wanted to become a teacher. So, you know, I never, ever foresaw this career path. And I think that's maybe part of, you know, whatever success I've had is, is that I never really had this pathway. It was always like, you, you think you want to go in this direction and then all of a sudden boom you get knocked off the yellow brick road and it's not that you get back on the yellow brick road it's funny you find a different pathway you know even when i became a teacher i had it all mapped out teacher you know site administrator district office personnel hopefully working with curriculum instruction assistant superintendent superintendent or start my own charter school eventually you know teach college never didn't plan out that way you know got kind of knocked off the yellow brick road again and I think the thing is this, is that, you know, knowing that there's different avenues out there and, and really understanding, you know, you don't have to find the, you know, go down this, you know, clear pathway that you just got to think about your why and your why is going to go and put you in those different directions and, and a direction that you probably never recognized and realized. So again, you know, this is not something I foresaw. This is not something I planned. I always wanted to be a writer. I knew that I was going to write screenplays or comic books or novels never thought I was going to be writing books about education, but I'm just really grateful. And, and it's really great that what, you know, has kind of like how my career has kind of gone with this. And I'm very grateful for everybody along the way who's been not only, you know, supporters, but also mentors to me. All right. Now, Eric, you're not going to believe this. Okay. I, I wanted to be a filmmaker as well. <laughs> and I actually have a degree. I'm looking at it right there on the wall. An undergraduate degree in radio, television, and film. That's awesome. The mind's right over there. You yeah, know, yeah. Mine's on the wall, just you know, right before me. You know, and you know, it's funny because you know, you and I look like we're about probably the same. You know, from the same era and everything. It's so different now. Oh my gosh! If we had YouTube back then, I mean, I'd be on there making all these little videos. And people have really been entrepreneurial. There's one guy. I'm I'm a big fanboy. I love you know Star Wars and comic books and stuff like that. You know I'm not a collector. I read more off the rack and buy graphic novels from my old my old days. Um, but this is guy. His name's Aaron Schenke, and he's got this production company called Bat in the Sun. He makes comic book films better than Warner Brothers and Disney. You know with the with the Marvel and the DC universe, and they're so authentic. My gosh, can you imagine? Like back in the day, you know, you know, they say youth is wasted on the young. Can you imagine if we had some of the resources that these kids have, like YouTube 
and, and TikTok and you know I'm not I'm not a fan of TikTok, but you know all these video production out there, the creativity. It, it, you know, it, it's 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 not like you have to go to film school. It's not like we had to get these degrees. And and it's funny because in the pandemic, you know, I was using my film degree making videos uh, more than uh, I was using my education degree. You know, <laughs> so but that's awesome. I'm glad you know, glad to hear that, and I'm glad to see we had that kind of connection. Of course, it's obvious. You got a great podcast show, and you know, you you've taken what you've learned, you've taken your education. And combine it with your, you know, experiences and your endowments, your gifts, and you turn it into personal expertise, and that's awesome. Thank you, Alhamdulillah. Yeah, I, you know, after and, and this is interesting. Like after I graduated from college, I went home, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to write a script, but I need a job, mm -hmm. and I just started to substitute, uh, teach at the time. And I started to work with kids. And then this one teacher, I struck up a conversation with her. And then she was like, hey, we're going to do a language. We're going to a language fair. And um, I want the kids to salsa in it. Would you work the kids? So I, 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 she picked a group of kids. I taught them, you know, how to salsa and choreograph routine and we went to the language fair and the kids got a trophy. And from there, that's what got me into education. I actually started in education working in uh, after school programs and summer programs. And that's so, awesome. yeah, it was like, okay, so it's all like, yo, yo, this is my life. This is my life here. And I enjoy it. But, you know, what's interesting when you, you know, like when you bring up what they have now versus what we had these kids have smartphones that have incredible cameras on there and all mm -hmm. these apps mm -hmm. that make editing really, really easy, you know? And, and, you know, I told my wife that when I went to film school and I'm over here shooting 16 millimeter film, my second movie, uh, and it was on uh, a spool, like it was like this much, <laughs> and when I was getting ready to take it out the envelope, it come back from uh processing place and I was getting ready to put it on the uh, editing bench. The core fell out. Oh, and I had to spend over an hour trying to wind that thing back up on there. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And then again, just to sit down at that editing bench where mm. I'm looking at this monitor this big and then uh, people i just say this big it's about uh about four inches four yeah. eight inches and then you know you're splicing the film <laughs> and you're taping it back up and then you're splicing it and then you're again you're, you're rewinding it back and then you're looking at it doing okay did that work for you no that didn't quite work okay so i'm gonna untape untape it and i'm gonna do this so those skills <clears throat> you know they're old school, I get you know, uh by now because people are you know, they're editing movies on on uh digital technology now, Final Cut Pro, etc. Mm -hmm. But just that experience of you know, learning how to shoot, what is a uh close-up medium, uh, and then the light meter. Like I, I want to ask someone, quite honestly, who's a cinematographer now shooting with digital <clears throat> cameras. What's the, what does the cinematography look like? Because when you're shooting, you know, film, that light meter mm -hmm. 
it's telling you, okay, how much light you need to you. You're like, you're not eyeing anything. Right. You know, you, you're like, okay, oh, I'm at a four. Okay, now on camera, I'm going to put this. And then you're shooting. So it's a different game all entire, entirely in, in terms of what filmmaking has become using digital technology versus the traditional uh, 16 or 35 millimeter film. So it was for me after doing that and then now looking at wow, I could take my phone and I've recorded teachers in my district and, you know, edited, put everything and then I show it to them and they're like, wow, that's great. <laughs> that looks great. And I'm like, like that's, that's an iPhone. And I'm like, yeah, it's an iPhone. Uh, so it's, it's been a transition, you know, one of those things where again, I never thought I was going to be in education because of like, I'm going to make a movie and here I am. Well, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned that about how you had to get a job with substitute teaching because that's kind of, I have a kind of a similar story. I did have the entertainment job. Um, when I worked for that producer, he was a great guy, you know, and, you know, I'm not going to say his name just kind of, you know, out of respect to him, but you know, I got fired eight times working for him. Uh, the, the shortest transition time between fired and rehired was that he fired me and I said, okay, so who do you want me to call next? And he goes, get so-and-so on the phone. So that lasted about five seconds. Um, one of the times I got um, fired by him that I I used to kind of at the time, it was, it was hard social emotionally for me working in the film industry. I mean, I used to say it's like high school intensified um, because it's about who you know, it's about who you're hanging out with, it's about what's your reputation, you know, which group are you a part of and everything. Um, to kind of like, you know, make me feel better, I used to go to bookstores and, and just sit in bookstores. And one time I met this lady uh, there. She was a teacher in the Burbank Unified School District. And she said, well, why don't you come and shadow my class? And why don't you come in and meet my kids? And and, and I did that. Um, you know, I also substitute taught my lot my, in college. Um, when I, when I uh, was in college, I had a, a girlfriend whose mom was an assistant at an elementary school. And I was home for spring break. And she called me up and she said, you, you want to make a quick 75 bucks? And I go, sure. She goes, you want to sub PE today? And I go, sure. And it was in the district where I grew up in upstate New York. So I did. And I'm like, wow, okay, this is pretty simple. And I got on the call list. And then my teacher started recommending me for their classes when they sub because they're like, you're my student. You know you know what my class is all about. You know, Come on in and, and, and talk you know, and teach the kids. And actually, my last year of college, uh, one of my teachers... Uh, went on medical leave and 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 recommended me to be the long-term sub. So I'm like 20 years old and I had my own classroom. I was teaching an English classroom as a long-term sub um, in upstate New York. So it's funny when you say that because, you know, it, falling into teaching, seeing how this is, and that's a lot of times where, you know, with teachers, it's like, and also with our professions, it's like you just never ever, you know, realize where life is going to take you. And, and when you get something like that opportunity, say, okay, is this, is this a something that something's telling me and does it bring joy? Does it bring me the happiness? And I think that's the big thing we need to look at with our work. Um, to tell you the truth, I think the best thing about the film industry is I walked away from it. And some people might look at it and say, you failed. I'm like, no, I didn't fail. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't successful. And I'll be the first to admit it. Um, but I, I walked away from it. I said, this is not bringing me happiness. I'm banging my head against the wall and you know it's not feeling good. So why am I continuing pursuing down this, uh, this pathway and, and just really made that choice and that change. And that's kind of been like a lot with my teaching career is that you know I, I left the classroom because I was at that point where 
you know, it, it wasn't bringing me the joy that I had. I mean, my last year I had, I figured it out, you know, and then I'm like, okay, boom, I'm, I'm going to administration. When I was a site administrator, I, you know, I, I, I enjoyed, you know, my first assignment, but when I, when I became, when I went to another one, I just really, really did not like what I was doing and, and, and who I was becoming. And it, and it felt a lot like, you know, the way I felt in the film industry. And then when I went to the state education department, I wouldn't have left um, you know, I had a great boss. Her name was Nancy Conitzer. Boy, talk about leadership. She was she was the type of leader you really want because, you know, she wanted you, she recognized your greatness and she wanted you to realize your greatness. So she gave you opportunities to, you know, hone your your gifts, your endowments, your 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 skills into talents. And she never looked at it like a threat. She looked at it like she was, you know, you know, making you better. And if you were better, she was better. You know, it, it, she didn't feel, you know, that you know I was going to take her job or anything like that. With a lot of leaders do that. Um, but but the thing is, this is that it's kind of it's kind of funny how you kind of fall into stuff like that. And these kids, you know, they have no idea what it's like to using, you know, the light meter and everything. Because I mean, on their phones, they could film a day and turn it into night you know they could take the background where they film it and then you know project themselves into onto Tatooine or on the Death Star um, and, and that's the thing I think you know one of the things about the technology and the great thing about it is that we have to basically embrace the technology and, and use the technology and I'm not just talking about using smartphones and having the kids make videos. I mean, I did that in my English language arts, my AP class. I had them start making their own movies um, about the uh, um, the isms or, or the other or concepts. Like, for example, we were reading um, uh, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and I taught it and pushed it how it's a satire. Um, it satirizes civilized society, the hypocrisy of civilized society. And I wanted them to make a satire about high school life. And I had these two kids. They just they didn't like my class. I'm gonna admit it. They didn't they didn't like being challenged. They didn't like being pushed. But I knew they were filmmakers, and they made this thing they called Star Nerds, which is all about um, cosplay and fandom. And 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 they the stuff they did with it is like they they did this 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 knighting ceremony for Jedi Knights um, as the as the high school is where. And all of a sudden you see these lightsabers light up, and it's the actual special effects. I was like, holy crap! You know, if I had that when I was in high school. Um, but that's the thing, and I know you're a technology person, and I think that's the thing, like, th th if you think about it, you don't need the light meter because your phone can do everything. But what that allows you to do is to deepen your critical and creative thinking to where it says, okay, now I'm not worried about, you know, the, 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 the basic application or the basic um, um, acquisition is that I can, I, can, I can have something do that for me but I can analyze and I can augment, you know, and, and, you know, it's not even about filmmaking, like math. Okay. I always find it funny where, you know, sometimes math teachers say, don't use a calculator. Well, that's like telling people, you know, don't wear sneakers when you're running a race, you know, or don't wear the best, you know, running shoes when you're running a race or don't, it's like, okay, yeah, use the calculator, but go further because teaching math is about what's the answer and how do I get to the answer? But being a mathematician is about, here's the answer, and this is why it's math mathematically accurate according to the math, thinking critically and creatively. So I, when, I, when I do observations or coaching, I hear math teachers sometimes say, don't use a calculator. I go, oh, I kind of cringe a little bit about that because that was the opportunity. It's not what is two plus two because it's four. And, and it's not that I can do that off the top of my head. I have a device that lets me do that. 
But the question we need to ask is, how can addition be used to find the sum of two numbers? I'm going to give you an example, 2 plus 2. Now I can demonstrate and communicate that. Or let's say, think critically. How could addition and rounding be used to prove that 2 plus 2 could equal 5? Doesn't matter. I gave you the answer. 2 plus 2 could equal 5. Mathematically, prove why that's accurate using addition and rounding, that deeper transferable knowledge. So, so it's great kind of leading into that conversation is that we need to stop looking at the technology as something that makes life easier and that's bad. Because look, it does. Answers come free. They're all on our phones. They're all on the internet. But we need to think critically and creatively whether those answers are correct or incorrect. We need to debate and discuss why those answers are right or wrong, which is different, okay? Because correct or incorrect is, is irrefutable. Um, you know, you can't say that this is this is incorrect. It's just either correct or incorrect. Right or wrong needs to be defended, explained, justified, supported, but also think critically. And that's why I used to tell my kids when I was teaching. I said, guys, look, answers come free. I'll give you the answer. You can go find it on your phone, but I'm going to have you tell me why is that correct or incorrect or whether you can defend and justify why it's right or wrong. And, and that's what technology allows us to do. And, and we need to stop looking at it like, you know, oh, that, that just makes life easier and that's bad. No, technology makes life easier and that's good because now we can think critically and creatively about all that information. Yeah, but see, the, the problem here is a lot of teaching, particularly in K-12, through it is about information mm -hmm. and not transformation. Mm -hmm. And so teachers get up there. And it's like, I just want to give you the content. And they're not thinking, well, what does this content actually mean? Mm -hmm. And, that's a, you know, I tell teachers all the time, and that's why I say, you know, I, I have ruffled some feathers. There are probably some teachers at the school who hate to see me when I walk down the hallway. <laughs> you know, but I, 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 my whole thing about it is, and I've told them, your kids do not want to see you run your mouth for four to five minutes. Yep. They just don't want to do that. And quite honestly, you're teaching kids. They live in a world that is so hyper connected, so mm -hmm. on demand that, you know, that teacher was like, well, you know, this person can't sit down or this person can't do this, can do that. I'm like, can you blame them? Listen, I, you and I, I, I was born in 73. I mm. grew up in a time where you had to have a certain amount of, I guess, patience or life is what it is. And I am at a point now because I have, I am so connected to my phone and other stuff that I just skim through stuff sometimes when I'm reading a blog article and then I have to catch myself. That didn't make any sense. Let me go back and take my time with this because my brain has been rewired. Right. Because of right. what's going on. So I'm like, and, and, we're talking about kids who their neural pathways have been created based upon this stuff. So you can't get up there and just go, okay, I'm going to give my lecture. I'm just going to run, I'm going to run my mouth. Here's a worksheet. And we're good. Right. Right. And then right. you have administrators who earlier you mentioned instructional leaders, they co-sign, they sign off on that because they themselves have been trained in an old school way and have not sort of adapted, have not become, agile and what is going on to see okay we have a disruption going on what does that mean for 
the learning, right? And so I'm glad we're, we're going here. But we came here this morning because we got to get into this book. We've had a lot great conversation, but I want to get into this book. You got um, it. To talk about your book, Deconstructing uh, Depth of Knowledge, uh, a method and model for deeper teaching and learning. Now, earlier you mentioned how mm-hmm. DOK comes after the verb. Yeah. So some people may be confused about that. So what is DOK and what do you mean by that? Well, depth of knowledge is a different way and deeper way of looking at the learning intentions, objectives, and targets of academic standards, curricular activities, and test items. You know, for the last 50, 60 years, we've been focused on the verb because the verb indicates the cognitive action or type of thinking students must perform. And teaching and learning for higher order thinking or different levels of thinking has really been a strong focus since the late 20th century. When we became standards-based and more outcomes-based in the 1990s as part of that transitional shift, um, we were creating these objectives. And, and if you remember teaching, you know, I started teaching back in the 90s, the big emphasis was what's the verb you're using, you know, and, and um, judging uh, the verbs and the, quali- and, the te- and, and the instruction and the teaching and learning experience, not only based upon the complexity, but also the quality um, according to the verb, you know, we we frowned upon remember and understand. That's low level. Uh, we 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 celebrate if we're analyzing, evaluating, creating, and applying. It depends upon you know the depth and the complexity of it. The problem with verbs, for when you're teaching for higher order thinking, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem with verbs is that they basically describe a type of thinking, not the depth of understanding demanded, and also. What is the concrete skills that you have to use? And it's interesting because if you think about the cognitive action verb, it's different in regards to skills based depending upon the content area because analyzing in math requires a different set of skills than analyzing in more text based are um, uh, subjects. And, you know, looking at a subject that's more procedural is more, uh, you know, analyzing in a subject area that's more procedural is different than analyzing in a subject area that's more informative or factual based and conceptual. It really depends upon, again, the context. And that's what depth of knowledge is all about. It's about context, okay? So when we say what comes after the verb, this is one of the things depth of knowledge is, and this is one of the things that I've seen and transformed depth of knowledge into as an academic concept and framework. It's really changed and evolved um, over the last um, uh, 30 or so years since it was first developed in the late 1990s. So it's the next step in unpacking and unwrapping standards. And right now, I bet your audience is out there heaving a big sigh and rolling their eyes going, okay, here we go. You know, we're going to circle the verbs and we're going to underline the nouns. I mean, that's the great method that Larry Ainsworth came up with. But again, a lot of times things get lost in translation about why you're doing that. And that's half the battle. So with depth of knowledge, first you circle the verbs, you underline the nouns. But then when you got that first initial cognitive action verb of a learning intention or objective or target, put that aside, okay? Now ask yourselves two questions. What exactly must students think about and learn? So let me give you um, an example. Um, I'm working with um, um, Amanda Fox on her her new book about uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to Canva in the Classroom. Um, And she asked me to do some stuff with technology and DOK for that. So if I said compare um, and contrast stories uh, written within the same genre 
and how uh, similarities and differences in their approaches. So the first verb, compare, okay? Put that aside, okay? What exactly am I comparing? Stories. Now, stories is plural, so that means there's more than one. That's what exactly I'm comparing. How deeply am I going to do that? Well, there's another verb there called contrasting, and that comes after that first verb. So not only am I comparing, but I'm also contrasting more than one story. What are the conditions in different in uh, different uh, genres within the same genre? Excuse me. Now that's the condition. The criteria is noting similarities and differences in the author's approaches. That's what depth of knowledge is. So. The two questions you got to ask yourself after you unwrap and unpack the standards, you circle the verbs, you underline the nouns, the great method Larry Ainsworth has introduced to us. Now you got to ask yourself, what exactly must students think about and learn? Look at that first verb, put it aside. You know where it is in Bloom's, fantastic, great. What exactly are they thinking about? What is the content? And, and then how deeply must they understand and use their learning? That's all the words that follow that initial verb. It really comes down to understanding what your standards are demanding, and I say demand because that's what depth of knowledge is about, cognitive demand. What exactly must they learn? How deeply must they understand and use their learning? And basically understanding how standards are phrased. And this actually can be a shift in how we use standards. You know, we generally look at standards as, okay, that's what we're the, the state is testing. That's not what really standards are. Standards the standards basically establish that some governing agency, that some group has decided this is what it means to demonstrate proficiency in this subject area at this grade level. Treat it like the finish line in a race, okay? If you ever run a race, you've driven a car race or run a horse race, you know what the finish line is and the finish line defines the type of race you're running. So you then got to go and basically deconstruct that standard to figure out what are the different parts of the path, or what are the different obstacles the students have to overcome to get to that finish line. And the way you use DOK as a method and model for teaching and learning, what I did with it is, I know we're going really deeper dive into this, but and we're going to expand upon it further, is I turned it more into an RTI model where you teaching and testing, and I want anyone to listen to me closely about this. I'm saying teaching and testing starts and stops at the standard. This is the finish line, okay? Then you got to say, where are you on that pathway to proficiency and progression and performance? And then you got to go and, and cross that finish line. And you got to believe every student can cross that finish line. But teaching and learning for depth of knowledge begins at the DOK level where students are. So you're using it more as a strength finder to say, so where are you in your learning on that pathway? Can you do this? No. Can you do this? No. Can you do this? Yes. Good. Let's start there and build upon that strength. It's not using it as a deficit model to say, what don't they know? You're using it as a strength finder to say, where are they in that learning? And then what you do is you build upon their strengths so they can rise to and reach. And when they reach it, great, they can demonstrate proficiency. But what can we have them do to go beyond that DOK bar? What can we have them do? That's what I call mastery. Proficiency means to me, you know, and, and the standards-based uh, grading and learning community might disagree with me. The proficiency means to me, hey, I can do this and I can do this often. And I can, and I can, and I can do this accurately every time you give it to me. That's 
that's not mastery. Mastery is like, you're the master. You know, you are the person who has expertise in this. You can go deeper with and further. So, so that's really what it means when it comes to depth of knowledge comes with after the verb. Look at that first verb. Great. Where is it in blooms? Put it aside. Fantastic. Now, what exactly is it that we're thinking about and learning? That's that noun or noun phrase that, that identifies the, the content, the concept. And how deeply do we have to do that? So, And that's, I think, where we're missing the boat when it comes to standards-based learning and grading. We know what the performance expectation is, but we don't know the context in which they have to complete that performance expectation. And that's what depth of knowledge is, and that's what I've turned into depth of knowledge, what it is. Because it's interesting, it's, it was never intended to be an academic concept and framework. It was a criterion for alignment studies. And the DOK levels were a rating scale. They're not actually levels. Norman Webb actually regrets calling them levels. He, he told me this in a conversation. He says they're more like categories. So like you have this standard and you categorize it as a one, two, three, or four. Then you have the curricular activities and assessment items and you categorize that as, as a DOK level. And then you compare them to each other and see how closely aligned they are. And Karen Hess, what she did with it is that she turned into a measure of cognitive rigor. And she distinguished Bloom's higher order think uh, Bloom's taxonomy from Webb's by saying Bloom's looks at the thinking, Webb's looks at the depth and extent we must understand and use the knowledge and thinking and learning. What I did with it is I turned into a method model for teaching and learning, which is what we want. And there's a lot of people out there who have different ideas with it, um, and 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 we can agree to disagree. Um, some people use depth and DOK levels of value judgment. DOK one and two is bad. DOK three or four is good some people say there's a dok zero which that's not a part of it at all and what you're doing is you're putting pressure on people making a value judgment each dok level serves an important purpose in the progression of a student's performance and a pathway to proficiency and no one is better than the other and that's what we really need to focus on with it but one of the things that's great that all of us who do this stuff on dok we all agree with is that depth of knowledge is about what comes after the verb and we agree on that. And that and that's that's where the foundation starts. And then we can all have dialogues and discussions about how we think critically and creatively about what it is. Mm. So earlier you mentioned how the pandemic hit and mm. all of a sudden school districts, teachers, everyone wanted to know about how do you teach with technology? How do you teach online? How do you teach in a uh, some people call it a flex classroom or a hybrid classroom or whatever words that popped up. And I was like, I didn't even know this existed uh, because that's not how I live my, my, my life or even teach our teachers how to teach with technology. Uh, but when you're looking at the environment that we're in now, because I, I'm trying to I try to tell my teachers because I've seen regression. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want teachers to understand that, as they say, the genie is out of the bottle. Mm -hmm. Things are not going back to what they were. I'm hoping they, they would never go back to the sit and get that people thought was the gold standard, which it isn't and never was. Because mm -hmm. let's get real. Those kids who had a certain cognitive level of ability, those kids who could sort of uh, comport themselves in a certain way. And those kids whose parents were educated were always going to be successful in this mo in, in the model. 
mm-hmm. that we know of. But other kids, they kind of fell through the cracks. And I don't like using a test score uh, as a uh, measurement of do you understand this, how smart you are, et cetera. But when you look at the test scores and you go, okay, black and brown students are hitting 40% across the board, math and English. And you're going, oh, that doesn't look, look, okay, that's not right. And when we know that exists, you can't, you know, puff your chest out and tell me that what you were doing before is the gold standard. And what we're doing now, the technology is a gimmick, is a failure, is something just to do. And we don't want to use it. We're tired of it and, and et cetera. And, and this is, uh, I've been wanting to, you know, just shake people like a rag doll when I hear them <laughs> talk about it like that. Uh, but in, in lieu, in light of what we are seeing right now, particularly with the influx of technology, which is everywhere because people got to ask some money and all that stuff. What is the planning process for in designing lessons when taking DOK into to consideration, especially when a teacher is a one-to-one Chromebook classroom in a or a one-to-one iPad classroom? You know, it's interesting you talk about technology um, and way people look at technology. And again, you say technology is something to do. And it's not just technology like that. I mean, if you think about it in education, a lot of things we look at is that we do. You know, one of the things that the fallacies and, and the misinterpretations of professional learning communities is, or PLCs, is that you do PLCs. No, you're not P- doing PLCs. You are a PLC. You know, or RTI, response to intervention. We're doing RTI. No, we are using RTI as a multi-tiered system of support. We are... Um, implementing an RTI methodology. Because if you look at something as something you have to do, I even say this, I'm writing uh, my next book, uh, just got approved from Solution Tree. It's going to be on, I'm going back to uh, questioning and inquiry, which is what my first book was about. And there's a lot of things about inquiry. And I and people look at inquiry like we do inquiry. And, and they treat inquiry like separate from the content. And there's research that proves this. The teachers look at inquiry as we do this, and then I have content, which is what we do here. No, we are, inquiry is the experience. What we do is we are engaging and encouraging and enhancing inquiry to learn the experience using questions, using research, using investigation mm-hmm. skills. And that's the thing even with technology is that technology is our tool, okay? Think of it like this, and I like to make the comparison to this, and I do this actually in my PDs, and I say this in relation to the standards. The standard is the song that all kids have to play and the song we need to teach them. And as you probably see from behind me, I'm a huge Eddie Van Halen fan. Um, I mean, I've been an Eddie Van Halen fan since I was eight years old in 1978 when I first saw him at, uh, my, my dad took me to uh, Knott's Berry Farm and Van Halen was playing on stage. I'm like, wow, what's that? You know, and I've just been a fan since then. And I play guitar myself. So let's think of it this way. Standard is the song you have to play and, and all the kids have to play. And the, the and this is what we need to teach them. Your curriculum and the, and the tool and then we'll, and I'm going to put technology in there. 
is that that's the guitar you use to play the song. Now, the interesting thing about curriculum and technology is that the companies sell you that, here's the analogy, I'm giving you Eddie Van Halen's guitar, or this is a guitar that was designed by Eddie Van Halen. If you use this guitar, you will be able to teach Eruption by Van Halen, and the kids will be able to play Eruption like Eddie Van Halen if you use this guitar. No. You got to tap into your own Eddie Van Halen, you know, and you got to figure out how to use that. And and the problem is, is that we get sometimes an over dependence or an aversion towards the tools we're, we're given. When I say over dependence, and let's talk about curriculum technology, because it's the same thing. When I talk about curriculum, I'm talking about the curricular programs, um, which is kind of have technology embedded in it is that basically we get this over-reliance well, they bought me this thing and they must, there's this thing, I'm depending on this thing to go and, and make the kids, you know, and have the kids learn. So it should come naturally. No, you still got to use your own artistry and skill. And that's the thing I think, you know, and I talk about this, you talk about you ruffling feathers, try coming in selling people, you know, you need to be more, you know, we need to get, have, have our instruction and teaching learning experience be more rigorous. What does that mean? Um, there's a comment I make, and some people gasp at it. And if I'm give you gasping, I'm not talking to you. But when we went into you know lockdown and did and did these this distance learning, um, we were given a Tesla, and that was the computer. But a lot of our us teachers, we drove it like a Ford Edsel, because that's how we know how to drive. That's the way we've driven for years. You know, we've driven on a gas-powered car for years and now we're given this electric car and and this electric car can do things and we didn't and the kids know how to drive these electric cars but they don't know the potential of the of the machinery and we didn't allow the kids to take that potential like one of the things i often say is that you know when we taught during the pandemic and we did this thing digitally um you know we spent man 45 50 sometimes 90 minutes direct instruction jeez you know there's a reason why kids can learn their letters and their numbers so quickly on, on, on Sesame Street and why after 30 minutes of watching Bill Nye, a science guy, you, you, you're thinking like a scientist because you're allowing for that active engagement. Teachers need to trust the technology, but teachers also need to use it as a tool and use their natural, because we're artists, man. I mean, you know, this is just like our paintbrush and our guitar. And, and you got to trust your artistry. And if you don't know how to use that device, it's okay. And you have to say, okay, I have to learn it a little bit. What's the potential? They need to listen to people like you, Dr. Will, who comes in and say, I have this expertise. And we're not coming in saying this is the way. I mean, teaching is not the Mandalorian anymore. This is the way. There's multiple ways to do this. It's helping them find their strengths and skills and how they can use it. But trust the technology. And guess what? The kids are going to go and do stuff on it that's not appropriate. Look, we did the same thing when we were in, in school. I mean, we passed notes in school. That was the way we texted. You know, we, we had magazines hidden in our textbooks when our teachers had it. Sometimes it was music magazines. Sometimes it might have been inappropriate magazines. But that's what we did. Now we got this thing. 
So what can we do? How can we make this collaborative process? Hey, you guys know the technology. You are, you know, what we call the digital natives. Okay, so tell me about it. And what's interesting is that a lot of kids know the, know how to use it, but they don't know the potential of it. So you got kids who are, you know, social media. They got they got their TikToks. They got their, you know, back in the day, it's kind of funny we could talk about Facebook as being more old school these days. So as a creative teacher, say, so wait a minute, what if we what if you created an instructional video for kids on that shows how to use the Pythagorean theorem accurately in your own words, in a language that kids can understand, in a way that kids can understand. You make your own, you know, TikTok um, uh, viral uh, show. You know, you can become like the Bob Ross and the Joy of Painting, where you're up there and you're saying, "Hey, I'm Eric, and um, this is what how I use the Pythagorean theorem," or "Hey, I'm Eric, and here's my perspective on how um, Charlie and Chocolate Factory addresses uh, the theme of family." You know, work together collaboratively with the kids. And, and the thing about this, and, and I'm not criticizing teachers. What I'm saying is, is that, you know, we talk about that resistance. It's because there's so much stuff out there that's uncertain. And what do we do? We go to our comfort zones, you know, and, and we teach the way we were taught and we teach what we understand. But now, I mean, you talked about content. When people say, I'm teaching the content, and I'll say, what content? Well, I'm teaching about the Artists Confederation. Well, what is the standard demand? Oh, that's over there. No, you're telling the kids, you know, I'm teaching you how to run, but I'm not telling you whether it's a dash or a marathon. If the standard says, understand how the failures of the Articles of Confederation led to the writings of the, the, of the United States Constitution, one of those failures was that you had a position of president that had no executive power. And if the, you ask the kids, who was the first president of the United States? That's not something they're supposed to retain. That's not something they're supposed to recall from memory. They're going to Google it. And if they Google it, they're also going to come up with this guy named John Hansen, who was the first president of the United States in Congress sample appointed under the Artists Confederation. And there were actually eight of them before we transitioned to the Constitution. And one of the things, the reason why we transitioned to the Constitution was because we had a president whose job was to preside. They had no power. They just watched over. Okay had no executive power. So when we did the Constitution, that basically one of the changes we made was that we're going to create an executive branch with executive power. There's no textbook that talks about that. There's nothing in curriculum that has ever talked about that. But the kids are going to go online and they're going to say, well, wait a minute, who's this guy named John Hansen? And isn't that fascinating? And isn't that, oh my gosh, we'll use this F word, fun. You know, oh my gosh, it's fun. What do you mean I can take linear equations and I can turn them into football plays, Mr. Francis? Well, here, here's Madden Football. If you know Madden Football, the video game PlayStation or, or on Xbox, what does Madden do? X's and O's. What I used to do is I used to overlay a graph on top of the Madden Football video game and said, okay, guys, your X axis is your offensive line. Your Y axis goes from your quarterback to the end zone. See those lines? Graph those plays. I want you to come up with the formula. That year, I had the quarterback for the high school where I taught in my class. He goes, hey, could you come down to practice? And I taught him, and we both learned how to do, how to make plays using linear equations. And I was an English teacher, so that's why I'm about creativity. So, well, I think that's the thing, is that we really need to tap into our creativity. And from a technology standpoint, use the language of technology. What we need to do with education is we need to basically reboot the matrix, 
okay? The 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 school, Tom Hare, great friend of mine, mentor, likes to say the school that we taught at and worked at and the kids attended on March 13, 2020 does not exist anymore, okay? And we're, we're but but we we're trying so hard to maintain that. No, you can't. You can't maintain you know a building when the foundation is bottled that bottomed out. So what can we do going further? Reboot the matrix, and it's not going to start with the federal department of education. It's not going to start with the state departments of education. It's not even going to start from your district office. It's not even going to start from your administration. It's going to start in the classroom. You need to plant that seed. You need to really think critically and creatively as a teacher and think critically and creatively, okay, I got this gift and I got this endowment that's a skill and turned into a talent for teaching. I've been given these tools. I don't really understand these tools. Hey, I'm going to contact a guy like Dr. Will who knows these tools and he's going to basically coach me in how I can use this and do my artistry. You know, and, 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 the, and, and the artistry and the tool has changed. I mean, they're self-playing guitars now, you know, and, and it's really funny because there's a story about Eddie Van Halen that Eddie Van Halen was playing guitar player, the Van Halen version of it, and he was worse than his son, Wolfgang, who's now an artist, a musician, and they're like, Dad, you're Eddie Van Halen. You can't play this song? It's your song. And he goes, I can't play it on this good thing, you know, but Wolf knew how to use that thing and play, play the Eddie Van Halen song. So really, I think that's the thing. Well, I think that's my recommendation. That's my suggestion. You make the decision is that you have this, you have a unique gift and, and endowment and skill that's a talent. You're a teacher and you know technology. And you really got to figure out what I can do to really get that personal connection with that teacher, really tap into it. You got some teachers who they're such tech whizzes, they, but, they, but they're teaching, it, they're, they're not strong in teaching. And you got some teachers who are great teachers, but they're not tech whizzes. I mean, they don't even like using email. So I think that's the secret. We need to really get back to that humanistic. We talk about SEL, you know, for kids, but what are we doing for SEL as an adults? And, and that's the thing is that, you know, we need to start using the words reach and teach. How can I reach them to teach them? I've been reaching them for the last five years. We've been reaching them the last five years, but now we got to get back to teaching them. So how I can reach them and get that personal connection to teach them? I think that's the big thing. That's how you, that's how you go through um, the tech block. And I can relate to you because I can't tell you, I use technology a lot in my PD, like Dropbox, um, Google Slides, uh, Google, you know, Google folders, Google files. And I actually literally spent, I think, the first five to ten minutes of my PD either, number one, making sure the technology is working because of the Wi-Fi, or B, teaching a teacher who's not really versed in technology, okay, this is how you do it in a Dropbox. This is how you save it from the Dropbox to a PDF file or a PowerPoint file or a Word doc file. This is how you use Google Slides. Okay, don't type into it. you got to save it before you type into it, you know, because then everyone's using it. So I think that's the big thing, and, and that's that's where we need to approach with it. Yeah, it um. <clears throat> I'm trying to get there. It's taking, <laughs> you know, it's taking me some spiritual work uh, to try to get on this path because when I've never gone in to tell a teacher, you need to be like the teacher next door. Right. I'm always about trying to sort of identify, okay, you're great at direct instruction, which everybody is, isn't, and which is fine. I mean, you know, but, this Nearpod could be great for you because it, I, I think it would bring out the best in what you do. But you need people on the other end, you know, who are willing to take that leap. 
And I, you know, I met a teacher once uh, uh, a week or so before we went out on spring break. And when I walked into her classroom, the first thing she tried to do was, I don't know, bear with me, the technology. And I said, listen, I'm not going to have that today. You have an Apple Watch and you got an iPhone. <laughs> you know what that tells me? You know technology. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to have a good time. Okay. I'm going to answer your questions and I'm going to show you how you can use Schoology with this particular student that she wanted to work with. Mm -hmm. But my thing was from that perspective, don't tell me you don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Don't you know what I'm saying? Because you you already do. And that's one of the things that makes me really angry about my about my job and the work that I do is we have teachers who will drive in a car that when they open the door and they walk in, it'll say, hello, John. Mm -hmm. Their phones automatically connect to the dash. They're streaming and doing all these things like their students do. And then they get into the classroom and it's like all of that stuff they've been doing no longer exists. Mm -hmm. And then they try to tell me, I don't know how to do this. I'm, I'm like, are you watching Netflix? Because if you're watching Netflix, you can do this. Because mm -hmm. as you mentioned, it's a tool. You're still watching a movie or a TV show. It's just that the, the experience has changed because you can bypass a commercial or there are no commercials. Or you can start watching something on a phone, jump back it, jump back on it on a tablet, get on a laptop, and then maybe say, oh, I'm going to get home now, and then get on your TV, on that Roku, et cetera, and then now you're going to finish it or what have you. So the experience has changed because you're no longer obligated to, I'm going to have to sit in this living room and watch this TV or watch this movie on this big screen. But you're still watching a movie, mm -hmm. right? So the act of it is I'm still watching the movie. And I'm trying to get teachers to go, okay, you're dealing with students that are different. So one of the things I, 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 you know, I tell teachers, I say, listen, when we say meeting students where they are, immediately people start to go, let's check out a test. Let's, let's look at this. Let's look at the diagnostic. What, what does this assessment tell, tell you where you are? I say, okay, that's fine. It has its point. But you got to understand, these te the, our students, they're growing up with Xbox. They're growing up with the Nintendo Switch. They mm -hmm. have cell phones. They got the internet. They have tablets. Your kids are interacting with technology, with, with people and the world in a different way. And they understand things differently. Mm -hmm. So when I say meet kids where they are, meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. and understanding this is who you are teaching, right? So you, you right. have to approach them in a different way. You have to approach content in a different way. How do you teach in a different way? Because you can't just get there and go, okay, this happened on this date, mm -hmm. and I'm going to put this on the board. Or here's a PDF, type into the PDF, and be done with it. Mm-hmm. Like they need more, they should do more, and you should want to do more because you don't want your classroom uh to me to feel 
like a factory. Right. It's funny you just said that because I was just thinking about when you think about um, professions and you think about systems, the one profession and system, would you agree to disagree, is that despite all the things that were are provided to us, the one that resists change the most is probably education. You know, and 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 I, I just had a conversation with uh, with this the other day. I said, you know, the pandemic caused every industry to change how they do things and why they do things, or the why. You know, and that that would help me a lot actually through the pandemic. Simon Sinek's uh, "Start with Why, Find Your Why." What's your why? Um, you know, I, I compare it again. Let's look at the film industry, okay? For years, and the music industry has not figured this out yet because they have not figured out the value and benefits of streaming, okay? They still have this idea of the album concept. Well, the album concept is dead, okay? People are not buying albums. They're buying songs. When you and I were growing up, we had to wait till that song came on the radio to tape it, you know? <laughs> And, or, you know, we had to go, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, I got to go and fast forward to the end of the, of the, of the tape or, you know, I had to go put the needle on it and everything. And the music industry has not figured out that the album concept is dead, but the film industry, let's look at the film industry. The film industry has always been reluctant to do streaming because there was this, a fetist attitude towards streaming um, it should be in the theater and it's prestige to be in the theater and, 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 you know, it needs a theatrical run, a straight to video is that's a schlock thing, you know, that, that, that constitutes failure. So we have this thing in the pandemic and, you know, and, and Netflix was starting to do original productions and Amazon prime was doing the original production. Hulu was doing Amazon productions and the film companies were like, that's not film. That's going straight to streaming. That's not the same kind of thing. So now you got this thing in the pandemic and I really think. Warner Brothers figured it out. And what's interesting is they figured it out, I think, because of, um, I think they knew that the slate of films that they were coming out with that were going to be the big blockbusters were going to be failures. We're going to be commercially blockbuster. We're not going to be successful as a blockbuster as a, at, the, at the box office. The first week will be huge, but then the ratings will come out. Like you think about Wonder Woman 84, okay? Everyone was anticipating that. Everybody wanted to see that. If that came out in the theater, it would have been dead in the water after the first week, okay? Because, all right, we're all going to see it. Yeah, we make our first box office returns. That sucked. Now <laughs> no one's going to see it, okay? So Warner Brothers creates this thing called HBO Max, a subscription service. Hey, if we put this in the subscription service and we get people to subscribe, because people are going to want to get HBO Max because they want to see Wonder Woman. Okay, but then you got these purists who are like, no, I need to see it in the big screen, IMAX and everything. Fine, put it there. Let the people who want to risk getting COVID-19 go to the movie theaters. That's what they want, but there's people who are willing to do this. And I really think Warner Brothers figured it out, you know, that they said, boy, if I stream it and put it in the theater, not only am I going to cut costs because it's expensive, not just even producing the movie, the marketing, the making the prints, the distribu distribution of the prints, the licensing deals to get into the theaters, you know, to rent, to get the space. I could cut all that by just putting on a streaming, okay? So I think that's how they figured it out. And, and, and now some studios are playing with that. They're like, hey... We could cut costs. So now you are never, ever going to see the film industry be the same way. 
The films that are going to come into the theaters are going to be what Ben Affleck actually had a conversation about this on Howard Stern is that there's a thing called IP films. Okay, that's your portfolio. That's those are the films that are going to basically they're the big blockbusters and are going to get you back, you know, the returns. Okay. Marvel movies will go to the theaters. DC movies, you know, Fast and Furious sequels will go to the theaters. Um, uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson epic blockbusters will go to the theaters. But you're going to have now this venue and this outlet that, like being the Ricardos, that'll be in the theater for the purists, but we're also going to stream it. And people are going to, and people were willing to pay a subscription service to watch it at home. And what the theaters are also doing is because there's still people who don't aren't feeling comfortable going to theaters. I know friends who they want to see Spider-Man No Way Home, but they're not willing to go into the theater. But at the same time, Disney realized, you know what, we can't just put that. So what do they do? They're going to reduce what's traditionally been the the, the, the the window, the theater window, before it comes out to digital and then DVD and all that. And they reduced it. Like, for example, you know, the Batman's going to be on HBO Max on April 19th. They just announced that. It just came out, like, what, a couple of weeks ago. So it's going to have its theatrical run, and then they're going to reduce it. So they had to change. Every industry had to change. Restaurant industry had to realize people aren't coming in, so what can we do to take a takeout, you know, make a takeout uh, service with it? Education is the last profession and system that is embracing the change. And you know what? I'm, I'm, well, we talk about shifts. We've been shifting supposedly since the 1990s when we transitioned from the industrial age to the knowledge age where it, it wasn't about what, you know, can you can you follow procedures just as I've taught them or can you, you know, do you have the knowledge? Now information was free. We really haven't been shifting. We've been scrambling, you know, and we really have, and you know, it, professional development and, and professional growth is like growing trees and for the last 30 years in education what we've been doing is transplanting trees we have this hole this gap okay let's take the tree of differentiated instruction that's our initiative this year boom put it in the gap put it in that root okay plant it crap that didn't work okay we got to take the tree out okay what are we gonna do this year literacy across the curriculum let's plant that tree boom crap that didn't work okay why okay there's a problem with the growth there's a problem with the nurturing of the tree let's take this tree called sel and let's plant that in there Crap, this isn't working. Okay, that's the problem. We need to let things grow. We need to let things develop. We need to let things nurture. You know, we need to plant the seed. Mm -hmm. Depth of knowledge, technology, that's a seed. Okay, it, it shifts. You can't expect people to be a redwood and just plant the redwood. You got to plant that. You got to nurture that. You got to see what the vitamins are that you need. You got to see what it is that will make that tree grow. And it'll grow in a classroom. And like a tree, it'll grow and then it'll branch out because other teachers will buy into it. Why? Because they see, hey, that tree's growing. Let me be a part of that tree. And then the school, it grows out. Then the district looks at, wow, what's that? And then you're going to start presenting at the district. And then you start presenting at your state conferences and, and, and your national conferences. And then you're going to have a presence online because you are now this tree. And then you're going to write your own books and you're going to tell people this is how you grow the tree. That's the thing. And I know I'm speaking a lot of analogy and, and allegories with it, but... The thing is, is if somebody comes to you and says to you, well, I'm not good with technology, I go, I, I, I got to jokingly go, okay, bye. And, you know, walk away. You go, what are you good? Where are you go? Well, you already told me you're not good. So what am I doing here? You know, I mean, that, they, they, it's like we cut our nose off to spite our face. Okay. The minute you say to say you can't, and, you know, and that thing, I can't yet. Okay. Or we always go to the negative. 
why can't we just look at things half full, positive? And it's funny, I just had conversations about this in education. You know what we do in education? We come up with a great idea and we say, okay, great idea. Let's now write it down in ways why this won't work. Okay? What if it does? What if, guess what? You know, it's not going to work. Because, it, you know, if we want rigorous teaching and learning, then our training needs to be rigorous to match the rigor. There's no simple fix to make. If something is simple, then the experience will be simple. Okay? Simple things simplify simple experiences. We don't want simplicity. We want complexity. And we need to be like the kids. And we need to experience it like the kids. We don't like it when the kids shut down for complexity. So why as teachers do we shut down? Because we've been challenged with something that's complex or out of our comfort zone. You know, we tell the kids, you know, hey, you need to do this. You need to do it this way. Well, that's not comfortable for me. Well, this is the way it's done. Okay. Think about math. I mean, you and I grew up in a time where the teacher taught us it and we did it explicitly as the teacher taught it or it was told in the text. And if we did it correctly and compliantly, not only did we get an A in achievement, but we got an A in conduct, you know, because we're compliant, we're behaving. Math's not like that. Great thing about math is there's more than one way to do math. You know, there's more, there's five ways you can multiply multi-digit numbers. You know what? Well, I could teach you four. I can do the traditional stacking factors. I really have grown to like the place value understanding and breaking it up. There's the Windows method where you can go and break it up like that. There's even lattice. And some people look at lattice and go, I hate that. And that's your right to hate that. Okay, because that's not your way. The fifth way is the stick method that came out of Asia. I can't teach that. I don't get it. But there's a video out there that shows how to do it. And these kids, and you talk about meeting these kids where they are. This is a generation of kids where they learn from video. My daughter taught me that. Dad, I want guitar lessons. Great, I'll teach you. No. Well, let's go to Monty. Monty's music. It'll charge 80 bucks a session. Not that. I'm going on YouTube. I'm going to learn that way. You know, show that video. Ask the kids. Do you get that? Yeah. Do you see that? Yeah, good, because I don't. So when you do that, that wants to be your way, you need to basically tell me how you did that. And is that the end of the day? Isn't that what we want? At the end of the day, isn't it that we want our kids, you know, not only demonstrating, but communicating their learning more than us showing what we know and, and, and what we can do? I mean, that's the thing. Sage, get, you know, you got to teach. But at the same time, you know, I like to say, like, teachers are like the red hot chili peppers because the song goes, we give it away, give it away, give it away, give it away now. Every time we teach something, it's not ours anymore. It's theirs. And that's good. But the kids are like Frank Sinatra because they're like, oh, I don't get that way. Oh, I don't get that. I, I get that. That's my way. I did it my way, you know? And that's the thing. And I think that's what even us as professional development providers and, and, and you know, and, and, and from the feedback I'm getting from you, like it sounds like you're that type of person. Like you want to meet that teacher where they are. That's what we got to do with professional development. We can't just come in and go, this is the way. It's not the Mandalorian anymore. One of the things I say about my PD is I say, why do we differentiate instruction but not professional development? So I will do PD and even on the fly, like I'll switch it up. I come in with a bunch of slides and a bunch of ideas and an agenda. But if I see the teachers not getting it, I need to monitor and shift what I'm doing. So I think that's the biggest thing is that what if we already are have doubt and we already have created obstacles, then you've created a battle that doesn't need to be. Okay, like basically don't come in and say, well, I'm not good with technology. Well, why are you not good with technology? Like you said. Well, I'm just not comfortable with it. Why? You got an Apple Watch. 
You know, where, where's your, where's your, you know, your, um, you know, you have, where's your analog watch? Why aren't you in an analog watch? You know, how come you're not going da, 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 seven, da, 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 eight, da, 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 five on your phone? You can press the buttons. And, and that's the thing. I think also we need to be sensitive about that because, you know, technology is scary. It takes a long time for us to, you know, to, to basically really embrace it. I mean, look how long it took for us to go from, you know, record vinyl to cassette to CD to now MP3. You know, look, you know, to go from, you know, videotape to DVD to now streaming, you know, and I think that's what some of us as, as educators, we need to figure out not only how to make it, not, not, not simple, not, not, not make it simple, but make it accessible and make it adaptable. And, 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 and the way we do that is that humanistic nature, that SEL nature, figure out what is it that, you know, that I can do to tap into your you know, your experiences, your education, your, your endowments to really get you expertise in what you need to do. And, and I try, you know, I try to do that. I mean, even when I was trying to sort of come up with a standard of what will I, what should our courses look like in terms of organization and school mm -hmm. Because there was like stuff all over the place. And from my perspective, if I'm going in, and I know what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going in, I'm looking in your course and I'm like, I don't, I don't understand what any of this looking like. And I know what I'm looking for. What does the parent think when they have to work with their child? Or what does the child think when they log in? And so I tried to come up with sort of a, a, a loose standard of what your courses should look like. But then I also told teachers like, listen, make this fit you and what you do. Mm -hmm. Now, these two things are non-negotiables, which is I want the week and the date so everyone would know what this is and sort of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So again, we, you know, people know if it's a Thursday, we go to the Thursday folder, non-negotiable. But how you do your lesson line and organize it inside of it, that's entirely up to you. Do what you do. And right. then- I, and I saw and I started to see teachers actually do that. And I was like, that is amazing. And what I did, and we have something in, in our district called Teacher Tech Thursday, which a teacher will lead a live Zoom session uh, on how they implement a tool in their classroom. And I picked, I went to a first year teacher because I saw that she actually embraced the whole i'm gonna do it how i do it what works best for me what works best for my kids and i had her come on and lead a session and show that you can do this your way this is this is not about uh a recipe of a pinch of this a pinch of that and you have to follow it and if not it's going to be terrible but you just do what you do and it was amazing to see her lead that session again, first year, you know, we recorded it and we shared it, but I told teachers is I need you to embrace this thing and I need you to own this thing, right? This is not me coming in, overseeing you, telling you what to do every day, et cetera, et cetera. And for the teachers who are rocking it, you know, I love going back and going, okay, 
Oh, oh, look at you today. I love saying that. I hate going into a classroom where I have to literally tell myself, stay awake. Because mm-hmm. I'm like this. Right. And I'm, and I'm sitting I'm like, if I'm like that, and I have to have the cognitive functioning of telling myself, pay attention. Mm-hmm. What is that 10-year-old doing? Right. 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 And that's actually, it's funny you say it because that's how I evaluated teachers when I was an administrator. And that's how I evaluate teachers and observe teachers when I'm coaching. Did I walk away and learn something? Okay. Because you and I are walking into these rooms. We got so much stuff on our mind, you know. I mean, when I was an administrator, I'm thinking about what's going on in my office. When now, you know, as me being a, a coach and a PD provider, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm tired because I probably flew in the night before. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, how my kids doing at home, you know, what's going on at, at home with stuff and everything. Can you capture my attention as an adult with all these distractions? And if you could do that, that's awesome because that also probably means you're also capturing your kids' attentions. Can I, do I feel like a student? And when I observe, I look at the kids. I don't look at the teachers. Like I put actually my phone up and videotape the teacher so we can go look at it like we do, like you do in football plays or basketball plays. You look at kind of, and, and that's a great thing, I think, looking at it and not letting the teacher knowing that they're being recorded because if you're being, knowing they're being recorded, you're going to put on your show. But if you put your camera there and you say, hey, look at this, and you put your, your phone there at the level that the students see you, every time I've done that with teachers, like, oh my gosh, the kids are like on top of me. So what do you need to do? I need to push their desk back. Okay, look at the way the kids are responding. You know, so like now they see mm-hmm. what it looks like. You know, and, and the thing is this, is that we're not saying don't do direct instruction. We're saying balance it. You know, you still gotta teach. You know, but at the same time, you got to have the kids actively learn. And it doesn't mean all of a sudden you got to become Hugh Jackman, the greatest showman, and put on a circus. No, it's as simple as I could throw out a question out there and say, you know, who's the first president of the United States? And someone says, George Washington. And they go, what do you mean? And now I got them. And, they, and, and I say, you know, how do you know? Well, it's on Google. Okay, go look on Google. You look on Google. Well, what's this thing John Hansen on constitutionfacts.com? You know, or asking the kids, you know, um, how did um, uh, Edgar Allan Poe create an entire genre of literary fiction? Kids are like, what are you talking about? What if I told you he wrote the first detective mystery story? Go online. Look, oh my gosh, it's called The Murders in the Room Morgue. There's three of it. Wow, there's a trilogy. Now you got them. Okay, now you got... I even did a thing where, you know, I asked the kids, why did Teddy Roosevelt start the National U.S. Forestry Division at the federal level? And I told them, I said, it's because he encountered a Sasquatch. What if I told you he encountered a Sasquatch in the Pacific Northwest? And the kids are like, no way. I said, go Google it. Now, here's the thing. There's actually a story in Teddy Roosevelt's book, Wilderness Hunter, written in 1898, that he talks about, it's called the Bauman Instance, about a fur trader named Bauman who talked about an ape-like creature attacking his camp. This is 1898. And the kid's are like, whoa, can we go and find that book? Let's go see if we can find it. Somebody who knew how to go and work the internet or maybe monitor the dark web, I don't know, found the book. Guess what? Mr. Francis, can we read it? Yeah, cool. All right, good. Is that the truth? No. So what's the real reason? And then I have my creative kid in the class. He goes, Mr. Francis, I want to write a screenplay. Teddy Roosevelt, Sasquatch Hunter. Okay, what is your what is what's your what's the pitch? History says Teddy Roosevelt started the U.S. Forestry Division for this reason, but this is the true story. Now that kid went off to Hollywood and started writing screenplays. He got a deal with Michael Eisner to write a screenplay on Bazooka Joe before he graduated. Okay, 
Why? Because, you know, he got into my class. He was engaged by screenwriting. I got him like, hey, do you ever think about screenwriting? No, go look it up. Go look. Wow, this seems fascinating. Let the kids run freely. And guess what? They're going to go and do stuff inappropriate on the internet. So what are you doing as a teacher to monitor that? You didn't catch it, oh wow, okay, great. What's the discipline tactic? Guys, I treat you like young adults. I treat you, I respect you as individuals. I expect you to make good choices. Do I have to treat you like young children? Are you gonna turn me as an educator to a disciplinarian and say, now you can't all use computers? That's throwing the baby out the bath, out, out the baby out with the bathwater, you know? And, and, and that's the thing is that let it go. And this is the time. And, and I think also the thing is that a lot of teachers feel, and this is a bad thing, pre pressure in education, time is not on our side. Actually, it is. Okay. And, you know, the, even when we use assessment, is that assessment is not a test. Assessment is, this tells me where you are, and this tells me what I, where we need to go next. If you're not ready for the next level, great. I got to do some interventions and get you there. I got to go and individualize, differentiate, so we can get to the next level. And even change our language. You say to kids, like right now, everyone's going, the test is coming. The test is coming. Test is anxiety, okay? Test is like, oh my gosh, the test is coming. Here comes the big pressure. What if we call it an assessment? Well, what's the difference, Mr. Francis? Well, test means, do you know this by this time at this? If you do, great. If you don't, so sorry, we're moving because that curriculum map says we got to go further. Or, oh, crud, you didn't get it on that one day. Okay, what if that's the day your parents got divorced? What if that's the day, you know, you're getting evicted? What if that's the day, you know, you broke up with your boyfriend or girlfriend? What if you just are tired of being tested to death and you're just like, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Because all that's going to happen to me is I'm going to get extended learning time in a Title I program. But you, the teacher, who I'm not crazy about, you're going to get instructional coaches in your room. And they're going to put it on you. And all this bad stuff's going to happen. The kids have figured it out. If we say this is an assessment, and they say, well, what's the difference? Well, an assessment tells me where you are at that time point, why you did what you did at that time, and what will I need to do next to get you to demonstrate proficiency according to what the state thinks is proficiency. Okay. And that's the big thing. And I think that's kind of like when we talk about shifts in education, it's not just a shift to say of how we do things, but a shift in how we view things. And, and, and we'll, you know, what you're doing with technology and, you know, and knowing a little bit of what you work with and everything, what you're doing is great. The problem is a lot of times people come in and like, again, these curricular programs, boom, here's Schoolology. It's going to be the cure for all your ails. If you use Schoolology, you know, it'll solve all the world's problems and yours as well. No, you know, you still got to be that artist who uses the tool and to say, okay, you know what? Don't go from step one to step five. Why don't you start at step five and see if that can get you back to step one? You know what I mean? And, and I think that's the big shift with it. And I think that that's also what I struggle with with depth of knowledge is that for the last 10 years, we've been taught that DOK is based on a verb. We were given this graphic by our state departments that was completely inaccurate. Um, no fault of the state. Actually, one state is the one is responsible for it. I don't want to say who it is, but they were responsible for a lot of the stuff with the Common Core when it comes to not only the training, but also the curriculum. Um, and we were misinformed. So now we got, I got to shift everyone's thinking to say, okay, this is what depth of knowledge really is, and this is how we can use it going forward. And I think that's going to be, you know, not only the way we as teachers need to look at education, but teach our students.
You know, there's a great story, and it's on jeffbridges.com called The Way It's Always Been Done. It's about the five monkeys in the cage. I'm not going to go into details with it, but it explains why we do what we do because that's the way it's always been done. Well, guess what? The way it's always been done definitely does not work anymore because the world changed because of this pandemic. And we need to figure out how we're going to ride this wave or we're going to go and wipe out. And if, if you can't ride that wave, that's fine. Maybe this isn't right for you anymore. And that's okay. It's kind of like with the film industry with me. It's, it's like, you know, hey, this isn't right for me anymore. So what can I do and take my gifts and take my talents and take my skills and do something else? Well, I've been teaching for 30 years. Man, that's a lot of wealth. Do you ever think about instead of teaching kids, teaching adults? Do you ever think about maybe, you know, there are people who want your style of teaching? I mean, you got these micro schools popping up and most of it's because people want more of that traditional style, that direct instruction style. There's always a place for you. You either have to figure out whether this is the spot for you or if you got to go and move that spot. And that's, I think, the big thing that, you know, we need to focus on when it comes to thinking about our future in education. Are we ready to make the shift? Or are we ready to figure out where our spot is? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's how you end it right there, uh, Eric. Uh, you said it. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so- hey, man, this has been a great opportunity. I know we were supposed to talk a lot about DOK, but I really love when we can start getting more into, like, the philosophy and encouragement, you know. Um, and, and I appreciate you having me on. And, and man, what was great about it is that, you know, we had a conversation. We didn't know where it was going to go. And I think that's exciting about it. And I think if you look at that in your classroom and you walk in every day like, wham, where are we going to go? You know, I got this lesson plan, but man, are we going to go down that yellow brick road or are we going to get knocked off the path and go a different divergent way towards Oz, you know? And, and I just want to say thank you for this and thank you for this opportunity. You're welcome. Alhamdulillah. Now, people... I'd like to thank my guest, Eric Francis, for coming on and, again, having such a, a wonderful conversation and dropping so many gems. Uh, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Audible. I need you to subscribe and share with any teacher that you know. Now, since I'm on all major podcast platforms, I'm trying to grow on Apple Podcasts. So leave a, leave. can a brother get a rating? Okay. Give me a rating, people. And I wouldn't mind a positive review because I'm trying to be found and I'm trying to get Oprah on the show because I want to know that we're doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Eric Francis, for coming on. And I'd like to thank you again for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace.